Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, we're talking quacks. That's right, ducks. Ducks from Battle Creek, Michigan, and some more ducks from Owala, Washington. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of Season 5. And uh, I'm warning everyone right now, uh, I think I'm on the back end of a very mild sinus infection, which, uh, par for the course, I usually get one about this time every year, so I know what to expect. But 
If I sound a little froggy, uh, or whatnot, I apologize in advance, but it, it's been sticking around for about a week, but I think next couple of days I'll be alright. But I feel good enough to sit down and, uh, crank out this brand new season and, uh, this brand new episode of the show. And like I said in the intro, this one is about, uh, Mallard. No, it's not. Actually, if you think that dad joke is terrible, wait until the next episode, because... It's the same joke, just with a different animal. And, uh, no, what we are going to talk about tonight is uh, a very famous quote-unquote quack. Uh, a doctor, was actually a doctor, with some radical ideas. Some of them that have stuck around today, uh, and many of them uh, that haven't. And it gets a little dark near the end. So we're going to be talking about Dr. John Harvey Kellogg in the first part, and then we're going to talk about uh, someone who is just total quackery and not like a great person at all, killed a bunch of people. We're going to be talking about the aptly named Dr. Hazard in Walla, Washington. So that is what is on the docket tonight. Of course, we've got some new stories for... Uh, local headlines, and I've got a couple of Reddit experiences for uh, the Your Small Town secret segment coming up, and that is what we had to look forward to today. First, though, a few housekeeping notes, uh, mainly about Patreon. I made a small tweak to uh, the tiers, so I want to go over it. Just one, actually. I'll go over real quick for everybody. Um, the $1 tier now has the ad-free slash promo-free version of the show. I did some thinking, and I thought that that would be a good way to give it a little more value than it had. As far as everything else, the other two tiers, the $3 tier, you it, that, that doesn't change. The $5 tier is also unchanged. So uh, the dollar tier now gets you ad-free version of the show, access to the Facebook group, uh, what else have we got in there? The exclusive sticker and all of the little just stuff that I do on Patreon anyway, like pictures and, you know, we'll do some YouTube stuff every once in a while. We'll do some, I'll do some reviews. I'll do some blog type stuff. That's all on there for everyone to get a hold of. The $3 tier, you get everything that I just mentioned. You get a, a, a button instead of a sticker. And uh, you also get access to any of the music that I make for the uh, the intermissions here on the show. The $5 tier gives you everything I just mentioned, button and sticker, music, ad-free show, all that, and the exclusive STS Backroads pos podcast, which comes out uh, every other week. So if you are at that level, you get content every week and usually what has happened is that show has become kind of an extension to this show so this week i'm not sure what i'm going to do yet it's going to have something to do with this vein of interest but i'm not sure what's going to be yet it might be the weird russian mad scientist who wanted to make a, a half human half gorilla army uh, it might just be a couple of other questionable doctors, a lot of quotation marks with my fingers right there, uh, of the era, 
or I might just do like a list of just weird devices that came out in the early 1920s that uh that uh, didn't stand the test of time. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm I'm juggling those three ideas, and I'll pick one, or maybe it'll be a mishmash of a couple of them. But that is what has happened with Patreon. Just a small little change. So if you are interested in that, please uh, visit patreon.com slash stscast, or you can go to stscast.com and click on the support tab, and you can also find a link to Patreon there. But I think, actually, yeah, I said a couple. That's probably all I really have. So we can just jump into this first episode. Thanks, everyone, for waiting around for Season 5 and coming back and listening. And if this is your first episode, thank you for discovering the podcast and uh, giving it a listen as well. So let's uh, just get right into the discussion of some uh, kooky, quacky doctors with uh, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg in Battle Creek, Michigan. Hi there, I'm Logan. And I'm Lindsay. And we host the new podcast, Folklore on the Rocks, where we talk about folklore and lesser-known creatures, cryptids, and monsters from around the world. So when we say lesser-known, we mainly mean that we won't be covering creatures like Bigfoot or Nessie or Chupacabra, just because they're discussed so often, and the world just has so many other awesome options to draw from. Every two weeks, we will be diving deep into the legends and culture that surround a specific creature, and getting a little bit tipsy while we do so. But don't worry, we do our research sober. <laughs> On the weeks in between, we're going to be narrating and discussing folktales. Some will be historical folklore from the regions that our creatures are from, and some will be modern folklore, such as no sleeps and creepypastas. Ooh. You can find out more about us on our website, FolkloreOnTheRocks.com, on Facebook and Instagram at FolkloreOnTheRocks, on Twitter at FolkloreRocks! So grab a drink, join us, and come on, let's dig deep together. The small city of Battle Creek, Michigan, population 52,347, sits where the Kalamazoo River and Battle Creek meet. The town took hold after a scuffle between some Native Americans and surveyors happened over some food. Later, a deal was reached, and the Native Americans ended up leaving, giving the settlers all the land. In the center of town, just north of the Kalamazoo, is the Hart Doyle Inuit Federal Center. This building is what remains of the famous, or maybe just a little infamous, Battle Creek Sanitarium, a.k.a. the San. This is the story not only of the San but of the man who ran it, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. The Sands started out as the Western Health Reform Institute and was opened in 1866. It was actually an institute built and ran by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, who were very big in Battle Creek, Michigan at the time, so this started out as their gig, pretty much. In 1876, Dr. Kellogg would be brought on as the new medical superintendent, a position he would hold for the next 46 years. His brother, Will Keith Kellogg, or W.K. Kellogg, would also come on to work as a bookkeeper in 1880. So there is a lot of, uh, what do you, how do I want to put it? There was a lot of friction, I think, between the two brothers because uh, W.K. was always trying to get out of his famous 
Dr. Brother's shadow. He left for a little bit and moved down south to take on some sort of job, and when that didn't work out, he kind of came back up to Michigan with his tail between his legs and uh, started working as a, a bookkeeper. But he really was bookkeeper uh, and just whatever the hell else his brother needed or wanted him to do uh, throughout throughout this whole endeavor. The then 24-year-old doctor, who was a stout Seventh-day Adventist, changed the facility's name to the Battle Creek Sanitarium. The term sanitarium was one of the first things that Kellogg invented that would stick. Sanitarium meant a place to go and stay well, which differs from the very similar term sanatorium, which was mainly a place to treat invalids and tuberculosis patients. That wouldn't be the only thing to come out of the sand. How about granola, postum, uh, peanut butter, which he didn't like invent peanut butter. There have been a lot of iterations of peanut butter over the years, but he developed the process that gives us the peanut butter that we eat today. And of course, cornflakes. Cornflakes would be the first cereal as we know it. So like the first one that was just, we poured milk into it and went went off, went off on our day with it. Cornflakes may have accidentally been invented by Dr. Kellogg's brother one day while helping out in the food lab. One night, he left out a thin rolled batch of wheat dough. It fermented and hardened, resulting in thin flakes. But of course they fermented so they were moldy. But after some experimenting, he found corn worked better in the process than wheat did. And thus corn flakes were born. And they would go on to be big business for the Kellogg brothers, if you will. I mean, they would build a factory to produce them and all sorts of stuff. And they're still obviously here today. As time went on, the sand grew and grew in popularity and it also grew in size. In 1878, a large wooden addition dubbed the Old Man was added on, and it burned down in 1902. So here's where it starts to get, uh, a here's where paths start to branch. Up until 1902, it had been the Seventh-day Adventist Church's show. It was their sanatorium, it was their doctor, he was just running it. But he was the one making it a success. People were coming from all over the place to go to this, and it got more and more opulent, uh, more popular, and it was turning into this place almost of like a resort, almost of like a place where rich people are going to get treatment for things. And the church wasn't... At one point, they were happy with it because it was doing bank, obviously. But on the other hand... They felt that it was getting away from what the church stood for. And so when it burnt down in 1902, it was rebuilt as a five-story stone structure. Uh, the old man part was a stone structure. And uh, the reason for this was Kellogg paid for it. Uh, book sales and all of that helped rebuild the the sand after it burnt down. And so because of that, he pretty much took it. He, you know, he had he took it from the church, 
went his own way with it. They disavowed him. And so in 1902, it really became Kellogg's thing. Then in 1928, it would be expanded again with a 14-story high-rise called The Towers. This new addition would add 265 rooms to the facility. But what went on behind the doors of Battle Creek Sanitarium? As I mentioned, the sand was started and ran for a while by the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church, of which Dr. Kellogg was a member. In fact, the church was the one that had paid for his schooling. And so Kellogg carried their beliefs at heart, such as no caffeine or alcohol. Um, and even though, even when he was kind of not part, you know, the, the sand wasn't part of that, that still was very core to his belief. Kellogg pioneered hundreds of new treatments and products. Uh, some good, some not so great. Let's, let's take a look at a few of them. Hydrotherapy. Hydrotherapy was widely used in the sand. Six stories of the facility at one point were dedicated to it. Hydrotherapy consisted of many practices that today have been disregarded by medical professionals, such as the uh, continuous bath. I'll talk about it in a minute. But there are some that are still out there and remain in wide use today. Physical exercise. The sand was one of the first places to really concentrate on having a schedule for physical activity. Kellogg implemented this not only for muscle tone, but also to help circulation, which it does. And of course, uh, inventions like peanut butter, granola, and various cereals. He was a stout vegetarian, uh, so he created a lot of meat substitutes. He also created a lot of different drinks, different beverages, things like that. Things that have mainly, over time, have gone the wayside. But not everything that went on the sand would stand the test of time. Kellogg was a big fan of enemas. But not your quaint uh, little bag of water. No, he invented a machine that could pump up to 16 quarts a minute into one's colon. And that was really one of his uh, go-to treatments. Anything wrong with you? Enema. You know? <laughs> Actually, I, th I think a lot of stuff was like that, but yeah. Just let that sink for a little bit. 16 quarts a minute. Uh of enema. Uh, if that's not enough questionable hydrotherapy, how about the continuous tub bath? And it's pretty much as it sounds, a bath that is continuous. They could last for hours, days, weeks, or sometimes even months, with the patient only allowed to leave the tub to use the bathroom, or probably to get an enema. Like many of his treatments, some of Kellogg's devices were also hit and miss. President Calvin Coolidge had one of Kellogg's electric horses in the White House. It was a closely guarded secret until 1925 when word of the horse got out when the White House had to get it repaired. So some people had to go in uh, to repair the mechanical horse and uh, uh, someone spilled the beans apparently. What the mechanical horse essentially was, was a barrel with a wooden neck and a saddle that shook at different speeds. Pretty much like one of those penny horse rides out front of supermarkets. Just worse. 
The vibrating chair was a similar contraption. A wooden chair, strapped to an electric motor, that shook the chair up to 60 times a second, which was supposed to stimulate the bowels. But it sounds to me like all that did was crush your spine and torture your pelvis. A lot of these things, these two things, and a lot of things that came out around this time, had this belief that in order to kind of uh, take care of the body, all you had to do was shake it a lot. Like, I don't know if people remember or have seen them as gags in a lot of things of those machines that had this long kind of cloth belt that you would strap around your stomach and then it would just vibrate it for hours on end. Like, the belief was like, oh, it's, it's shaking your stomach. Ergo, it's burning fat. When in reality, it isn't doing anything because in order to burn fat, you have to shake your stomach and work out and do things and not a machine. And I think that's the same belief behind a lot of this was that uh, you're moving, so it must be doing something, even though, you know, your body is exerting no force for any of it. He also had quite a few inventions that pretty much just flogged or beat you up, once again, apparently to stimulate circulation. Early on, he was a big fan of chewing. For years, he advocated chewing each bite of food 40 times before swallowing it, so that it would slide down your throat in a fine slurry. Of course, this was to help digestion. Later on, however, he stopped this practice because he thought that maybe this heavy chewing was destroying the nutritional value of the food itself. Kellogg also abhorred masturbation, calling it a vile evil, and employed many practices to men and young boys to stop them from doing it, such as binding their hands, or, in the case of, of younger boys, forced circumcisions with no antiseptic. For women, he employed the use of chemicals or would as go as far to use surgery on them. He was also fully celibate, having never had sex with his wife in their 40-some year marriage. However, they would adopt several children. So there you go, that's where it starts to get dark and not fun anymore, because he was ultimately a kind of a dickbag. It doesn't end there. Uh, later in life, Kellogg became a huge supporter of eugenics, the belief that we needed to call the weakest of us in order to strengthen the human race. Uh, like many eugenics supporters, he believed that segregation was important and necessary. He also believed that anyone with special needs needed to be taken down, taken out, in order to keep the race strong. You know, all this horse shit. Uh, he was even the founder of one of the founders of the Race Betterment Foundation. So yeah, on one hand, he uh, helped make a great breakfast cereal, uh, but on the other hand, he was just an abhorrent eugenics believer and just not, I don't know, not that great a guy really in my mind. As with many things that grew prosperous in the early 1900s, the Great Depression hit the sand pretty hard. By 1933, it went into receivership, and Kellogg was forced to sell off more and more of the facility, as the Depression went on to pay the bills. 
1942, it was bought by the Army, $2.5 million, and its name was changed to the Percy Johns Army Hospital. Dr. Kellogg would die at the age of 91 the following year. The Seventh-day Adventist Church would take control of the sand back in 1974, and it would be dissolved into the Battle Creek Health System in 1993. Over the years, much of it would be torn down and downsized. In the early 2000s, it became the HDI Federal Center, which, as I said at the beginning of this, it still is today. And so that is where it is uh, out of a, a very interesting character, I guess, to say the least. And that's pretty much the tale of uh, Dr. Kellogg. There's a, a great book and a, a movie of the same name, uh, The Road to Wellville, that if you guys get a chance, you should check out. You know, it's got Anthony Hopkins playing Dr. Kellogg. Uh, not a bad watch. Never got a chance to read the book, but maybe one of these days I'll grab it and give it a read as well. But let a, let's uh, move on to someone who uh, was less of a doctor and probably probably more of what you would call uh, a serial killer today with uh, Owala Washington and uh, Dr. Hazard. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Walla is an unincorporated town on the coast of Puget Sound. It was once a boom town when the foresting industry showed up in Washington, but like so many other towns, it dwindled in size as the forest did. And much like Battle Creek, Michigan, a young doctor set up another sanitarium. And this place would go on to be called Starvation Heights. Linda Laura Burefield was born in Minnesota in 1867. She would marry a Samuel Hazard, who, among other things, would end up in jail for bigamy after marrying Linda. This gave her the fitting name of Dr. Linda Hazard. In 1908, she wrote her first of two books, Fasting for the Cure of Disease. She started practicing these techniques on patients in Minnesota after that book had come out. So that was kind of her whole thing was that uh, the source of all disease in the world is uh, food, you eat too much of it, you need to give your digestive system a break, and you need to fast, and fast like hardcore to get rid of it. That was her whole thing. This cures everything. Uh, but by the time that first book had come out and she had started doing this, she ended up killing her first patient with these techniques in Minnesota. The local coroner tried to have her prosecuted, but there was a small problem. Dr. Hazard wasn't a doctor at all. She had no medical training. And because of this, it made it hard to prosecute the death as a murder. I mean, I guess kind of the way it goes is like, it's hard to prove that she intentionally killed this person. This person came in, uh, they said they wanted this done, and they ended up dead from it. It was kind of like, well, it's an accident. At You know, that's all we can do. And so... He couldn't quite get it to go. But no, she wasn't actually a medical doctor at all. She used some loophole uh, that that she could call herself a doctor kind of back in the day because she was practicing an alternative medicine, if you will. After that first death, Linda and Samuel fled to the West Coast. They ended up in a wall of Washington where Linda would uh, eventually set up her home as the Wilderness Heights Sanitarium. And sanitarium is a far cry. It was pretty much just her house and like some really kind of rack shackled uh, cabins in the back. Her treatments, while harsh and unconventional, became popular in the Northwest where alternate medicine was becoming all the rage. However, her treatments may have been too far out there. Fasting was the cure for all that ails you. Of that, she was sure. Pair that with uh, massages that were so intense, they were like beatings. And here we go again, enema after enema, some lasting for hours. Uh, This would uh, put many of her patients, quote-unquote, into a very sad state of affairs. Not just physically, but also mentally. Even if they wanted to leave, many physically couldn't, and others had become 
almost dependent on her. The atmosphere around Wilderness Heights quickly became that of a cult, with Linda Hazard at the head of it. Uh, but not really cult in the traditional sense, more of a, I'm in a cult because I don't have a choice because I'm too weak to run away. Uh, there are stories of people getting away from the sanitarium and, you know, stumbling in the town like zombies asking for food, which would be uh, a pretty spooky sight to behold, I think. One of her early Washington victims was Daisy Maud Hagland. She would pass after fasting for 50 straight days. Her son, Ivar, would go on to start a successful chain of Seattle chowder restaurants. The most infamous story to come out of Starvation Heights was that of the British sisters Dora and Claire Williamson. Both had seen an ad for Hazard Sanitarium while staying in Canada, and being fans of alternate health treatments, decided to visit. When they got to Awala, however, the facility, quote-unquote, itself wasn't quite ready, and instead they started receiving fasting treatments at a hotel in Seattle. By the time the sisters were transferred to uh, Wilderness Heights, they weighed only 70 pounds. They had lost like 30-some pounds in the interim. Sisters were used to the uh, family not approving of their health practices, so they didn't tell anyone where they were at or what they were doing. The only person they had contacted was their childhood nanny and nurse, Margaret Conway. She was sent a letter which made little sense to her, and because of this, she hopped on a boat from Australia, where she was visiting some of her family, to the States to check on her beloved friends. Margaret was met and escorted to uh, Wilderness Heights by Samuel Hazard, and on the way, he delivered some bad news. Claire had died, due, she was told, by drugs that Claire had been given when she was a child, which had shrunk her organs and caused cirrhosis of her liver. Even though Margaret was not a doctor, she was a nurse, and she could tell by the state of Claire's body that something was not right in a walla. Sadly, she wasn't in a position to really do much to help Dora get out of there. So instead, she called on their uncle, John Herbert, who came to Washington and in the end paid the Hazards $1,000 to take Dora away. Not only had the Hazards gotten a grand from Herbert, but it was later found out that they had made Claire sign over everything. All of her possessions, her power of attorney, her will, all of that, including clothes and $6,000 worth of various jewels. This would be something that Linda had done with many of her incapacitated patients, taking them for all that they had. This included a wealthy Englishman named John Flux, who had come to America to buy a ranch, but had stopped by for treatment, and he ended up dying with only $70 to his name. Linda took the rest. After the Williamson sisters, pressure would be on to bring Dr. Hazard to justice. It would prove difficult to build a case, however. 
Uh, being, once again, that it was hard to prove that these just were not accidental deaths or uh, due to the already poor health of some of the individuals. Eventually, she would be brought to trial, and I think a lot of that has to do with Dora, because at the end she was like, I will pay for everything. Just get her. Even during testimony of witnesses describing the sisters' cries of agony over forced enemas, boiling baths, and borderline beatings, Linda Hazard denied all responsibility. She would be convicted of manslaughter in 1912 for Claire's death. She would serve only two years in prison before being released and, for some reason, given a full pardon. Her and her husband then hightailed it to New Zealand and tried the whole thing all over again. But she was nabbed in New Zealand for practicing without a medical license. Apparently at the time, New Zealand didn't have the uh, loopholes that we had. So they would uh, come back to Awala and she built another sanitarium. Remember, she was fully pardoned, so there was nothing to stop her. She was in the eyes of the law because the pardon, she was cleared. She called this place the School of Health, and here she would continue the fast until the place burnt to the ground in 1935. All in all, Linda Hazard would have some 18 deaths tied to her name, but some say she is responsible for more than 30. However, there is an irony to all of this. Doctor, quote unquote, Linda Hazard would die in 1938. How? By starvation, while fasting. So there you go, uh, a really interesting story of someone who really was not just a quack, but a very dangerous quack. And really, like I said, if you look at it in terms of the modern day, a serial killer, really. Like, people said that she was very intimidating, that she had this way about her, uh, which also kind of uh, molded into that cult-like mentality that she was able to kind of set forth in front of her. And there's also a book that I didn't get a chance to grab and read, but once again, it's another one of those that I might grab and read it after this, uh, called Starvation Heights. And I will, uh, I'll see if I can find that and link that in the show notes for everyone to check out. And uh, But yeah, those are our stories for tonight. Uh, we're going to listen to some music. Uh, I tried to get some new stuff whipped up, but just not feeling great all week. But I'll be back after this with your local headline.
All right, and uh, got a couple of headlines, a couple few headlines for the first episode of season five. This first one is from NDTV.com. And uh, let me find the headline here. I've lost it. Ah, yes. Con artist summons Genie sells Aladdin's lamp to a doctor for 31 Laka. I think that's how you say it. Uh, so this is this is in India. This is written by Alok Pende. Meirut, two men have been arrested in western Utah Pradesh's Meirut after they allegedly cheated a doctor of 31 Laka by selling him Aladdin's lamp, the magical artifact from the popular Middle Eastern folktale that brings forth a wish-granting genie when it is rubbed. The con artist even managed to summon a genie from the lamp to convince their victim, according to the doctor who was cheated. Doctor, I don't know if it's supposed to be L.A., because it's a capital L and a capital A, or if it's supposed to be Dr. Lacan. Filed a complaint with local police on October 25th, describing in detail how he had been swindled by the now-arrested men, Ikramuddin and Renees, is their names. According to the doctor, he first met them when he began treating a woman they had described as their ailing mother. I started visiting their home to treat the supposed mother. The visits continued for over a month. Gradually, they started telling me about a Baba, a godman, whom they claimed also visited their home. They started brainwashing me and asked me to meet this Baba, Dr. Khan said in his complaint. The doctor said he met this godman who seemed to perform such rituals. Eventually, the group told me that they would sell me a lamp for 1.5 crower. I'm not actually sure how to say it, but I could only offer 31 lakh a down payment. They told me this lamp would bring wealth, health, and good fortune. They said this is the Aladdin lamp, Dr. Khan added. During one visit, Aladdin actually made an appearance in front of me. I did not know who this person was at the time. I later realized one of the accused dressed up as Aladdin, he said. Visuals from the police station where the complaint had been filed showed that the two arrested men with a massive golden-colored lamp that has been seized by the cops. We have found that the same men went into other homes in the city, too, and cheated many families in the name of Tantravida. We have uh, we have found the involvement of three people so far. Two have been arrested, Amit Ra, a senior Muret police officer, said. So I just paused everything here and looked that up. That would be... Uh, that would equivalent to about 43,307 U.S. dollars. Uh, I just think that's a steal for Aladdin's actual lamp. This next one is from uh, the Ottawa News, written by Kimberly Johnson, and the headline here reads, Century-old theater in Picton, Ontario, looking for its very own ghost. The Regent Theater in Prince Edward County is joining the theatrical tradition having its very own ghost, and it could be you. The Regent Theater sits on Picton Main Street in downtown Picton, Ontario, and usually hosts everything from concerts and plays to movies. It also serves as a community space and can usually host 300 events a year, but because of the pandemic, it has been closed since March. To help raise money, they came up with a contest. If you buy a $25 ticket, you will be put into a drawing on Halloween to gain the rights to become the official ghost of Regent Theater 
after you pass on. Chairman Thornton of the Regent Theater Foundation Board says he believes every self-respecting theater should have its own ghost. All the grand theaters in the world, in London and New York and Toronto, they all have ghost stories attached to them, Thornton says. Phantoms haunt the stages and the dressing rooms and scare the audience. So we thought, well, why not here? Thornton says the theater is looking for someone who is a big supporter of the arts. But it wouldn't be a bad idea to have someone a bit theatrical, he explains. Someone to, uh, to practice their moans and groans. We don't want to scare the pants off anybody, but a little bit of a jump in the dark theater, why not? The fundraiser is part of a larger initiative to raise money for the aging theater called the Raise the Curtain Campaign. General Manager Alexandra Say says upgrades like fixing their leaking roof and a modernizing accessibility services in the building come with a $250,000 price tag. We need that to reopen in order to make the space safe, says Say, so that our audiences, our performers, and our staff can all be safe. Finally, the drawing will take place on Halloween night. The winner will be left to create their own ghostly story one day. When you shuffle off this mortal coil, come and join us and watch over the place, said Thornton's. Said Thornton. And at the end of the article, there is uh, a place to donate and uh, visit the website and do that if you would like. It'll be in the show notes. It's a neat looking little building. So this last one, I just want to give fair warning. If you uh, go to the link in the show notes to read the article yourself, uh, when I visited, it, I kept getting this pop-up window that was for um, cookies. And when you click to dismiss the, you know, accept the cookies or whatever, all the links on the pop-up window, like, stop working and you can't get rid of the window. The only way I found to kind of get around it was to go into reader view on Safari. So if you have a browser that supports some kind of reader view, you can bypass it and be able to read the article. If not, depending on your browser, you might have a, a hard time with it. But this is from the, the Leader Live in UK by Matt Warner, Mystery Beast Encountered by Flintshire Cafe Owner. A Flintshire Cafe Owner says he was confronted by a mystery beast as he locked up. Robert Cardiz, who took over Billy Jeans in July, says the strange encounter happened on Sunday night behind the building. Robert said, I was locking up tonight and heard some commotion in the yard behind the cafe. I popped down and a hissing cat ran past me. It had been in a, a fight with another animal. It was dark and I thought it was a badger or something similar. As I got closer, the thing came into focus and snarled at me before it ran off into the fields. It really shook me up. Robert says the creature wasn't a domestic or feral cat, badger or dog, and he was hoping someone can provide an explanation. He added, I thought, what the hell is that? I couldn't tell exactly what it was, but it wasn't a badger, and it definitely wasn't a dog. It made some odd noise and ran off. It jumped over the fence, and there was quite a big drop on the other side. There were cattle in the field, and they scattered. It was quite dark. It almost had the outline of a black lab or something like that, but the noise it made was a screech. It wasn't a dog. It was so quick that I don't want to say it was this color or that color, but we did see something. Robert took over Billy Jeans in July, and although not yet having a fair crack at the whip during lockdown, Cafe has proved popular, especially with lorry drivers and local police officers. 
when it has been able to be open. Currently, due to the fire break lockdown, the cafe can only offer takeaway service. Robert, who moved to Flintshire with his family 15 years ago, says it is not the first time he has seen a mystery beast in the area. He added, several years ago, I spotted a big cat in Holken Quarry. It was a lot lighter then, and uh, what we saw was a cat of some sort. I thought I had seen some things all those years ago. I was ridiculed by family and friends, but it's real. Actor and presenter Nathan Head, who hosts the five-episode first series of Apparitions on Amazon Prime, says the British Isles has its fair share of cryptids, animals whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated from the Loch Ness Monster in Scotland to the Beast of Bodmin Moor in southwest of England. Nathan said, British big cats are possibly the most commonly sighted cryptid in Britain. The earliest modern sightings date back to the mid-18th century in Surrey, and possibly the most famous sightings are those of the Beast of Bodmin Moor in Cornwall. Earlier in 2020, a large black cat was supposedly sighted somewhere on the Crib Gotch Ridge in Snowdonia. But further back, in the Black Book of Camerthen, a 12th to mid-13th century manuscript which takes the form of a dialogue between King Arthur and the gatekeeper of his court, Gleedwald Glayfarer, which I'm sure I completely butchered, there is a medieval Welsh poem called Pogger, which mentions a Cath Pollig, Pollig's cat, or clawing cat, that roamed Anglesey. There is no solid evidence to explain exactly what these big cats are. Some claim to be remnants of the Ice Age, hidden away in the British countryside, or possibly some previously unclassified subspecies of wild cat. The common explanations are usually pinned to an escaped panther or puma from a nearby zoo or safari park, or even illegally owned as pets. In 1903, a big cat was sighted in Devon and later shot. Its remains are stored in the Bristol Museum, and it's since been identified as a pet lynx that had somehow escaped captivity. It is indeed very possible that a big cat dwells in the fields and undergrowth of Pentray Hulken, but until solid video evidence or photographs surface, it remains an unanswered question. I always like a good British big cat story. I got a little wonky there with some of the Welsh kind of mythology that they wrote down, but I do, I do like this story. It's a great uh, modern tale of the big cat myth over in England. And uh, there you go. That has been this week's local headlines. But I've got a couple of uh, your small town secrets to share. And like I mentioned earlier, both of these are from Reddit. The first one is from uh, Eliza Bish. That was her username. I'm not sure if that's her actual name or not. After not thinking about this experience in such a long time, I was surprised to find myself lying in bed and thinking of the memory. One night, when I was probably six or seven, my family was at a harvest dinner at our church. The church I went to growing up was built in the 1800s and has a cemetery on the land. The actual church burnt down and they rebuilt it, but the cemetery has remained the same. My family has been attending the church since its start and many members are buried in the very same cemetery. Anyway, we were leaving the dinner and it was dark out. Thanks, Daylight Savings Time. Agreed, Daylight Savings. 
My cousins and I had all been given balloons to keep. I remember running down the front of the stairs with my oldest cousin, and I accidentally let go of my balloon, uh, not a helium one. It blew directly into the cemetery, which is to the right of the church entrance. Here's where the weird part happens. My cousin and I both ran after it to try to catch it in time. We made it probably 10 feet into the cemetery when we heard a pop. When I looked up, I saw glowing eyes looking at us from behind a gravestone. I stopped in my tracks, and so did my cousin. I think we were both so scared, we immediately turned around and hightailed it out of there. I don't remember any sense of dread, just that something was there, and I didn't know what it was. My parents told us it was probably just an animal, and that we were being ridiculous. But my cousin and I didn't believe them. After that, I never went into the cemetery at night, and as I got older, I tried to remember what gravestone it was so I could see if it was a family member or etc., but I can't figure it out exactly. I texted my cousin today, asking if she still remembers or if I was making it up, and she said she did. I, I guess it may have been an animal, but who knows? Just my little experience. Uh, like I said, I think I told her on Reddit, I think it would be interesting to... Um, See if your cousin knows what the tombstone said on it, what the name on that was. See if she has any insight to that. But I always like these little cemetery experiences. Also interesting that apparently the balloon popped. So did this thing get a hold of the balloon or did something else cause it to pop? And the other one is from Josh R. Knives. And uh, this is his little story. I was out walking at the woods in an ungodly hour of the morning I believe it was around 1 or 2 in the morning. Last year, I was working at a church youth camp in Wisconsin. The camp was on two sides of the highway, and a tunnel under the highway connected the two sides of the camp so the campers could more readily access the other side. My then-girlfriend and our friend liked to walk the woods at night after we were done with work. The first time we had done this, we were scared shitless by a fox barking. Uh, the deer in the woods were fairly docile and didn't spook easily. We soon learned to identify the sound of a fox and saw it several times. One night, it was just me and my ex walking through the woods. As we rounded a corner in the trail, I noticed movement in the field by the tunnel. Gray shapes. I assumed that they were deer and pointed them out to her. We continued our walk past the tunnel. Just as we passed the entrance to the tunnel, uh, maybe about 20 yards we heard some horrendous screeching. It sounded as though someone was being strangled. It didn't sound at all like the fox, but we shrugged it off and continued up the road. All of a sudden, I had a weird feeling and turned around to see a tall figure standing in the road. It was dressed in white and all hazy. I wondered if I was a little too tired and was seeing things, so I poked my girlfriend and asked her uh, to take a look behind us. She immediately noticed it, too. Something we both noted was that our eyes kept sliding off the figure. We couldn't keep our vision centered on it. As I was thinking this, she voiced it out to me without saying anything. I pulled my hunting knife from its sheath, uh, but somehow I knew it wouldn't do anything. Without looking away from the thing, I said, let's go now. We backed away and then started running. We didn't stop until we were back at the cabins. When I got back inside the cabin... The guy in the buck next to me was still up texting her, his girlfriend. 
I uh, quickly told him what I had seen, and he looked at me and said, That's why I don't go out at night. I never went back out to those woods at night again. And when I talk about this, and even writing this, I still get chills and a nervous feeling. We had no drugs or alcohol. We were both under 21, and we were working at a church camp with strict policies. So I always, that was a great story. I like how it was, uh, they, they see something different that you don't really hear about a lot of the time. And I also just love how he's like, listen, we were at like a church camp. There were rules. We were sober as judges. And uh, so there you go. That has been this week's, this episode's, uh, Your Small Town Secrets. All right, we've done it. Episode 501 is in the bag. And I am as well, because quite frankly, I don't feel any better. Uh, actually, <laughs> I actually might feel a little worse. But the episode is done, and I got it out. And now everyone can uh, listen to it and enjoy it. So I'm going to leave you all with the same stuff I always leave you with. If you have a small town secret to share, uh, your own UFO sighting, Bigfoot sighting, a haunting, if you have a local legend, you have a local true crime thing, uh, let me know. Get it to me. Many ways to do it. You can go to stscast.com, leave a, go down to the bottom of the main page, and there's an email form that you can fill out, and that will send it to me. You can also get on me at any at social media, uh, at Twitter and Facebook are at STScast, and Instagram is at STScast.gram. You can uh, send me your experiences or uh, engage with me through there. Uh, you can also help support the show uh, in many ways. Once again, STScast has all of that. You can find merch. You can find, of course, the Patreon and all of that stuff. Or if you would just leave a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice, especially iTunes, uh, that really helps the show out. Once again, it helps it float ever more to the top and gets exposed to more people. Or really, just tell a friend. If everyone gets one more person to listen to the show, then that automatically doubles the audience. And I just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Unless you're on Patreon, then I'll be back next week with uh, an episode about something. I'll figure it out uh, in the week in the week we got in between them. But I'll be back in a couple of weeks, like I said, with another with another episode. Until then, uh, stay safe, take care of everybody, and uh, remember, every town has a secret. What is yours?
The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.